Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. What's up, traders, investors, and punters? Welcome to Chat with Traders podcast. I'm Aaron Fifield, and joining me for this episode is Nick Fabrio. Nick is an active day trader of ASX listed stocks with a short bias. He's 28 years old, he's been trading for around about three years and has already surpassed a million dollars in trading profits. The dude is a gun. Nick is currently living in Texas, but while he was back in Sydney recently, we were able to catch up and do this podcast and we filmed it. So again, if you'd prefer to watch a video of this episode instead of listening to the audio only, head over to the Chat With Traders YouTube channel and while you're there, please subscribe. We chat about many things in this episode in detail. I'm not going to run through them all right now. Just continue listening and I think you'll really dig this episode and I'm sure you'll learn something too. Here is my buddy Nick Fabrio for episode 164. How'd you go at poker? Uh, a bit better than I went trading this week, so <laughs> yeah, I think I'm. I might even uh, just give up on my trading career and switch to professional poker player. Have you played a bit of poker? Like, is it something you do half seriously? Not really. Like, I usually just have a few beers and play. Okay, uh, but you with, know how to play. Mates. I, I know how to play. Right, I wouldn't say I'm like particularly good, but yeah. Um, yeah, not at the high roller table. No, nah, not at the high roller table. <laughs> no, cool man. So. Before we get into any of the trading stuff, let's chat a bit about what you were doing beforehand leading up to that, because I know some of the things you were doing were, I think, very interesting, and it says a lot about your character. Sure. I don't recall if it was you were running the, the yogurt shop before. Yeah, so I ran, uh, I guess to, to rewind, so out of high school, okay. I actually wanted to be a doctor. Right. What sort of doctor? Uh, I hadn't really decided. I just wanted to do medicine. It was something that interested me and I got like the marks that I needed to in like this one aspect, but then the uh, like university entrance thing I didn't get in like with the, I think it's called a UMAT or something. I just, just missed out uh, on getting the marks there. So I went to university and some like 
uh, I guess, separate course. I think it was like diagnostic radiography or something like that. And then realized I had no clue like what physics was. So I dropped out of that within like four weeks and then uh, I actually started uh, working at the casino at Star City. Oh, that's right. You did too. Yeah. Um, And then I figured out that waking up at 2am, driving into the casino to work for eight hours wasn't my thing either. So um, Was that your shift, was it? Yeah, yeah. So 4am to midday was my shift. 4am to midday. That's a rough shift. Yeah, I'd have to wake up at like 2am and then I'd get home like having micro sleeps behind the wheel almost (laughs) uh, and then sleep. And yeah, it was just really bad, like especially as a 19, 18 year old, like you have no social life. So yeah, um, gave that away. And then I was selling cars for a bit. And then I got a job at like a, I guess what you'd call a boutique stockbroking firm. Um, Did that for a little while. And then once I quit there, I started a business with one of my mates. It was like a, we just started our own frozen yogurt uh, shop. So we thought that might be the the next big thing that turned out to be a fad. Yeah. Um, just going back to the dealing at the roulette table, yep. what was that like? Like, was it a bit of an eye opener? I imagine like those people who work behind the, at the tables in the casinos, you know, they must see some shit. Yeah. I mean, you, it's, it's kind of depressing because no one's winning, right? Yeah. So you're like <laughs> sweeping away everyone's chips and they just like hate you. So yeah, it's, it wasn't like the greatest atmosphere. Plus, you know, there's... Like no clocks, you don't really know what's going on. The only good thing about it was uh, every, like you worked for one hour and then you got like 15 minutes of break and there was free food um, in the like uh, back of house area. So okay. that was one of the perks, but right, yeah. <laughs> once the food gets old. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good for about a week or so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool, man. So after that, you went to selling cars. Selling cars, yeah. Well, how did that work? Were you a car salesman or were you doing was, something else? Uh, yeah, I was a car salesman. Okay. So I kind of had a, a, have always had an interest in cars. Um, I used to go with my dad to like Bathurst and go to all those races and stuff. So I guess selling cars like made sense to me. Um, and I was good pretty at good at, Yeah, I was pretty good at it, uh, yeah. like at selling stuff. Okay. Um, <laughs> what so sort of cars were you selling? I was selling uh, Kia, Chrysler, Jeep and Dodge. Oh, so, right. I guess back in those days, selling keys wasn't the easiest sell. Um, I think they got a bit of a better reputation now though. Yeah. And how long did you do that for? I think it was about a year, maybe. Okay. Yeah. And then, so you went from there and you did the, the frozen yogurt venture. Uh, uh, yeah, a little bit down the track. So okay. I, I did the frozen yogurt. I think I was like 23 at the time. And we did that for 15 months or so. Yeah, well, tell us a bit about that. Like, how did that come about? Because, I mean, it's it's pretty ballsy to just decide that, you know, you and your mate are going to get some cash together and yeah. open an actual shop. Like, that has some real overheads and some real expenses that you've got to cover. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's a pretty uh, significant risk. Yeah, yeah. I guess we were a little bit naive, like, thinking, um, you know, oh, it's retail, like, everyone can do it. And we, we probably, we didn't really understand, like, how horrible retail as a, an industry is in Australia. Like there's plenty of competition. Plus we were dealing in something that's like so niche, uh, given that it's dessert. You don't have dessert every single day. Do you know what I mean? So you're dealing, like trying to get people in, like is difficult because yeah, if, even if you go out for dinner or something, like you're not always gonna 
have dessert afterwards is pretty optional. Yeah, and it's a little bit seasonal too. Like I yeah. imagine some of the ice cream shops down on the Corso here are probably doing it tough during the, the winter. The winter, yeah. And other, like we we're faced with other challenges as well. Like the um, uh, they were so we did it in Wollongong. Uh, just down the south coast and uh, they were redoing the whole like main strip of Wollongong so there was a lot of like road works and basically they tore up like the road in front of our shop uh, so right. access was difficult yeah it just made a, a bad situation worse get compensated in any way for that or it's just no because their, their pitch is like oh um, it's for the future you're going to benefit in the long run um, but yeah we didn't hang around to what were you doing in the business? Like, were you, you know, serving customers, doing yeah. a lot? So I, me and my mate, we worked, we split the shift in, in two. So we'd work, the shop would be open for 12 hours every single day. So we'd do six, six hours each, Monday through Sunday. Um, and yeah, it was just everything. So preparing the yogurt, cutting up the toppings and you know, even on the business side of things, like figuring out that stuff so it was like I, I don't regret doing it um it was pretty rewarding like you learn quickly we won like uh i think i can't remember i think it was business of the year or something in wollongong um, oh right that's pretty cool yeah yeah so it, it was a good thing right like we had to figure out everything because it wasn't like we took on a franchise we just started our own brand and just kind of learnt on the go yeah yeah and, and why frozen yogurt um well it was at the time like and I think that was really taking off. Okay. And we thought we're actually like, we went traveling over to the US um, to see if we could like think of any concepts over there that we could bring to Australia. Yeah. But then we like kind of got sidetracked, like going out and partying instead of actually like <laughs> doing any research. Yeah. So we kind of, we already had the, um, the yogurt idea to begin with. And then we're like, oh, okay, well, we'll just do that. Yeah. Uh, Cause we didn't see anything else. Yeah. Okay. No, it's funny how like sort of there are certain foods and sometimes certain desserts which just become like the in thing for you yeah. know, 12 months. Like, it was uh, definitely a fad. Like um, I think our shop is, is still in operation down there um, and it's the only one there. So I think at one point there were about four frozen yogurt shops in Wollongong oh. um, and ours was the only one that made it through. Okay. Um, so what we did well was we made sure like our, we were off – we weren't like contracted to like um, you know, like a Westfield or a GPT group type uh, thing. So we were just outside the kind of shopping precinct. So that meant that our rent was substantially less. And that's obviously the biggest the biggest overhead. So we're, yeah, the, the rent wasn't burdens, uh, burdensome and that's kind of what gave us the ability to, to have that longevity, I suppose. And did you have to lock in a lease for a certain amount of time? Like usually commercial leases usually run for a couple of years, don't they? Yeah, I think we had a three-year lease and maybe the last year was an option. Okay. Um, so we structured that pretty well, I, I thought, which was good. And we negotiated pretty hard for like favorable terms for us. So Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's a big thing to take on. Like I always sort of have a bit of respect for anyone who does that because- it's not like just starting an online business where it's like that your biggest cost is, you know, web hosting and yeah, a domain yeah. name and a few other bits and if pieces. If it goes wrong, there's not like huge ramifications. Yeah. But yeah, in that environment, it can get pretty nasty. Mm. As we're seeing with like, you know, retail food group and some of those franchises yeah. um, that are just going belly up and it leaves people uh, in some serious strife. So yeah, we were lucky. Like we just worked hard, paid off the debt 
um, and then sold the business once we saw like more entrants coming in. So we're just like, okay, we need to pull the shoots. Yeah. So why, why did you sell the business? Because you fear of competition? Fear or? of competition. And also we we're just getting over it. Like we we're literally working seven days a week, like no breaks. Um, I think in one year I probably had like five days off or something. Um, and I was studying university full time. So. Oh shit. Yeah. Okay. Did you have any staff? Uh, no, no. Okay, so, just so we're two just of you. we're effectively working for free. Like we're working just to pay off the debt. And yeah, we just we got out. I think I had like negative five hundred bucks to my name at the end of it. Okay, so well, I guess you know, all in all, that's at least you weren't under, right? Yeah, you know, yeah you'd exactly. Paid off your debts and all that. And so, what about the sale of the business? Like, was that a win for you? Or was that just uh, so that of- that basically just paid down like the last remainder of um of the debt? Okay. Um. And then, so we we actually we got a broker to um to try and sell the business, and then we I'm like, oh, this guy's like not doing anything. He's just like waiting for someone to walk in and <laughs> as and, they do <laughs> and buy it. And we had we paid like this listing fee, and then it was going to be like a ten percent commission or something. And then I'm like, oh, screw this! Like, so I put I advertised it on Gumtree myself, and I sold it uh, like with my mate. I sold it to um like to this guy. And then we we just left, and then the brokers like hassling us because in the contract it was saying, oh, you know, no matter how you sell the business, you still owe me like a commission. And I was like, that just rubbed me right, <laughs> rubbed me like up the wrong, the wrong way. way, like completely. So, um, so you didn't get paid. Uh, I negotiated it down. Like uh, I'm like, oh, well, the listing fee we paid that's part of your commission, and then we'll just top you up to ten percent or whatever it was. Okay. At, at that point, we were just like, oh. Like, we're just happy to have this behind us. It's almost like hush money, just shh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I know the feeling. And then, so what happened from there? So you sold up the the um, the frozen yogurt business. What was kind of the, the next step after then? So then I got a job working at a company called Wholesale Investor. So that was um, basically you'd get sort of pre-IPO, um, pre-IPO deals. I guess present the company would present to like a bunch of high net worth or sophisticated investors. So I was just doing business development work for them. So that's what you were doing. Yep. Okay. So yep. you were on the phones, just ringing up. Uh, it, was, it was probably more email base and meetings than than like phone work. Okay. Uh, yeah. It wasn't like overly like high pressure sales type thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I did that for a bit, and then at that point in time, I was like getting ready to go overseas to do a year of exchange. So that's kind of when the trading thing came came about. Obviously, uh, someone you, you've had on the f- uh, podcast before, Bryce, um, we worked together like uh, probably close to 10 years ago now. Um, and he, he uh, sort of approached me, he's like, oh, you know, you'd probably be pretty good at this. Like, if you want to give it a go, like, let me know and I can help you. And I was kind of like arming and ahhing about it because I wanted to save money so that I could go over uh, overseas and I didn't know if I'd, be risking that if I pride and failed but then eventually I'm just like I guess I've got that gambling not not gambling but like that instinct of just giving something a shot and seeing if it works so I just bit the bullet and then yeah so got into trading you, where were you and Bryce working together uh, at the boutique stockbroking firm oh okay yeah yeah, yeah I thought so alright so. okay I didn't realise it would have been that long ago yeah I think it would have been like 2010 2011 around then okay yeah so did you do any any good IPOs? 
at the broking firm? Yeah. Oh, no, no. no. What were they? Were just pretty small. It was like uh, I don't. Yeah, they they do like a few corporate deals, but it was mainly like placements and stuff. Okay. Uh, as opposed to IPOs, and it was like yeah, it was super small firm. It was not like yeah, they wouldn't be doing many IPOs. Okay. So yeah, so Bryce um, sort of turned you on to this trading thing. Had you done any trading in the past? I'd like punted around when I was like in. Uh, I think in high school, possibly, or like when I was 18. I think I bought like some Gloucester Coal shares or something. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I bought them and then they got a takeover offer. So I was like, oh, this, this is pretty easy. <laughs> um, Famous last words. Yeah, and then I put like the profits from that into something else and that basically went to zero. So got a reality check pretty quick. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, so how did you, so when you started getting into trading, like you sort of had this idea that, you know, this is something I'm going to, have a go at now yeah like how did you go about that sort of how did you go in those first few months like what was sort of your your, your introduction to it yeah my approach was like I, I was just trying to be a sponge like learn as much as I could off Bryce and uh, you know other people in the chat room that I'm in and just try and absorb and basically I got obsessed with it like it was you know every waking hour I'm like you know replaying stuff on Spark or um, yeah just obsessing about it like couldn't wait for Monday like I hated weekends okay <laughs> and did you have a job at the time or was it yeah I did so the first like three months I was basically trading from work unbeknownst to my boss okay and what, what was your job at that time that was with Wholesale Investor uh, yeah so uh, there, was, there was a fair bit of downtime like it wasn't like you had to be constantly on the phones um, so that kind of gave me the opportunity to, to spend a bit of time doing that. Like I would even come into work at like 6 a.m. to do some of the business development work for like an hour or two so that I could uh, prep in the morning and then um, and then trade the, the open pretty much. And then I'd, yeah, just go from there. Okay. And then so you kept that up for about three months and then you gave yeah. away the job? Yeah. Well, I was going to give away the job anyway because I was going overseas. Got so it. yeah, I uh, quit and then I basically became full-time like – that was my job from that point. So what was your experience like in those first three months? Like, were you, you profitable? Were you up over at the end of that those first initial three months? Yeah, yeah. So I think the first month, like, I might have lost about like 300 bucks or something. And then the next month, I think I made like 800. And then, so I started with 10 grand. And then once I made like that 800 bucks, I was like, okay, I've done this for two months now. I'm like more or less break even. I'm going to add another 10 grand just so that I could do a little bit more. And then it basically kicked from there. So I think the next month I did like five grand. I think I did 16 and then 36 and then 65. So it ramped up like pretty quickly. Yeah. Did it ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Not many people can say that. How much, like how big were you trading in those first three months? Like, how much were you you risking on a trade? So when I first started, I would like I've made a post about this on Twitter about like you know leverage and risk. So the way I look at things is always like um, you know what's the tick value of of this trade. So I'd size according to that. So I'd be like, okay, I'd try and make things fairly binary. It'd be like, okay, I'm very confident in this setup working, or I'm confident but not as confident. Uh, in this so then I would just adjust accordingly so I might in a highly confident trade I would be risking like $50 a tick on something I was less confident about it might be like 25 and then I just 
focused on building that up from there, if that makes sense. Okay, so if it's if you're saying $50 a tick, let's say you got a $10 stock. So, okay, that's the other thing. So I was only trading stocks between like 30 cents and $3. Oh, really? Yeah. For obvious reasons, like because, you know, on a $10 stock, you might get like 50 tick move in a day, for example. And if you're starting with, you know, 10 grand and it's $50 a tick, like you can go broke pretty quick, like if it goes wrong. Okay. So if you're trading a three, $3 stock, let's say. Yep. It, what's a tick? What's the smallest that can move? It's it's half a cent, isn't it? Uh, no, it's they go to full cents over two bucks. The tick. Oh, is it? Yep. And then it's half cents below two bucks down to 10 cents. And then it's like 0.1 of a cent. So how many ticks would you risk on a trade? Ideally like zero to one. So a lot of what I was doing initially was I was just purely doing match trades. So I'd be leaning on um, like a surplus bid or something. So jumping in front and then basically if I saw, you know, selling action, like someone hitting the bid, then I would just get out and I'd be basically out for brokerage. Uh, or worst case scenario, if that, if it got like wiped in one go and it went offered, then I'd pretty much just hit out straight away. So can you just explain that a little more? Like what do you mean by you're doing match trades? So if there's a catalyst like news, for example, um, and you see a bunch of buyers coming in and you can lean on uh, like a, some liquidity in the bid. So it might be like, say 50,000 shares surplus bid once it matches. Um, then I would look to jump in front, so I'd put my order higher than the indicative match price and then it would match, so I'd get my fill at the match price and there'd still be a bid there. So then that allows me, it's basically get, getting a free look at the you know next couple of seconds of action. So then you might see like, oh, more bidders come in at a higher price. Like say it's at, uh, say it matches at $2.50 for example, and I bought and it's surplus bid, you know, then someone might jump up to like two fifty five for a bid and then I'd just sell into them or something along those lines. But then if I saw like sellers coming in the book and volume being done on the bid, then I would just hit out straight away kind of thing. Okay. So, so you're very, very scalpy to begin with. Very scalpy, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And would you trade the rest of the session or were you... I wouldn't always trade the rest of the session, I would, but I'd always watch. Like I'd say to people like, I feel like the market's like a story if you're not watching or being observant like observant the whole time it's like you're missing like a couple chapters of the book so if you're trading just the open and then you come back the next day like so much stuff has happened between um when you left and now like you just kind of lose this valuable information like oh yesterday there might have been a a constant buyer at this level or there was a constant seller and if you don't know that like you know you find yourself in in trouble because you know you don't have the full story yeah yeah um Okay, and, and doing those sort of trades, I imagine you'd only be able to take like a couple trades a day. Like if, if your sort of, if your trade is trading the open, yep. um, you'd probably only be able to get it like- just Yeah, like right at the beginning, in the first probably three months, I think I was probably only doing like three or four trades a day, maybe five. But then, you know, I basically just focused purely on like this one type of setup. And I think that's important for like new traders out there to just hone in on one thing that you can do and do it well. Mm -hmm. And then that buys you time to figure out, you know, other setups that you can do. So I, I just did that. That gave me time. I made money doing it, but then it's like, okay, the edge is going away there. So you, know, you start looking at, at other stuff. And for me, that ended up being like short selling a fair bit. Is that what you found that the edge did start to fade away? 
yeah, it was it, it, it wasn't as good like after a little while. So I I now almost like don't even do those trades. Okay. Yeah. When when you said surplus bid, yeah. what, what do you mean by that? Do you just mean that the 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 bids in the book are are thicker than the offers or So when when the market matches, um it's like a I don't know like the full way it works per se, but it's basically just balancing the supply at a particular price and then there'll always be like uh, a surplus bid or it'll be surplus offered okay. when it matches. Right. So there'll be s- still some volume left that hasn't been done. So it's basically just getting um, on the advantageous side of that by you know queue jumping effectively. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the US markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. So do you recall any kind of breakthrough moments during your, let's just say, first 12 months of trading? Not really. Um, I think... It was more just that feeling of like, I, I drew down the account a little bit. I think like from 10 grand, I ended up down at like 8,700 bucks or something like that. And then once I clawed it back to, to even, I'm kind of like, oh, you know, I, I can probably do this. Um, and it's a bit of a confidence boost. Bit of a confidence boost. Like, yeah, I haven't just whittled this away and failed. Um, and then that kind of just gave me the confidence. But I was pretty fearless to begin with, I think. I've always been relatively comfortable with like putting on risk, whether it be you know playing poker or sports betting or something like that. So I wasn't particularly like fearful of losing money. Yeah. So that that helped a lot, and I think that's a lot of people don't necessarily have that ability to be comfortable with having risk on. Yeah. Do you think there's a way that people can become more comfortable with the idea of losing money? Like, because it's Probably inevitable to lose money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just think you need used to lose to money to yeah to figure it out. Right. Yeah, I mean, that interview I did with Rambo recently, that was one of the big things that, that he um, really sort of, sort of tried to drive home was, um, you know... Detaching it, from the money. Yeah, but it's like easy enough to win. The hardest part about trading is learning to lose. Learning to it lose, sounds yeah. crazy, but, you know, listening back over that interview and some of the things he said, it, it really kind of... I was like, you know, that's, that's Makes dead on. Makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, okay. So how long have you been trading for now? Uh, just under three years. So, Under three years. Yeah. Uh, the yeah beginning of August will be three years for me. Okay. And you've had no breaks during that time. You've just sort of been at the market every day. No, I wouldn't say that. So in 2016, when I was on exchange, um, my attention to the market, I guess, was a little bit patchy because I was kind of living the college experience as well um, and just trading when I could. Uh, so I guess like once I got over there, I didn't really have any friends, obviously. So I was like purely focused on trading, but then as I like formed a friendship group, 
you know, then they invite you out like, oh, let's do this or, you know, go on a holiday or something like that. Um, then my attention to the, the market kind of slipped a bit and my performance suffered as a result. So if you look at my equity curve, it kind of, it kicks at the beginning and then when I go overseas, it's sort of, it's still going up, but at a less steep or rapid, pace. Yeah, rapid rate. Yeah. Um, but then w- once I got back to Australia in January last year, um, yeah, then I was like, I treated it like a job. Okay. So Yeah. So what is your, your style of trading? Let's just sort of go over just a bit of an overview, I guess. How would you describe your, your style of trading? Um, I'd say I'm like a scalper and just trading basically off catalysts. Uh, so whether it be news or, um, you know, macro moves, like that kind of stuff. Uh, I have a bias towards being short. I just feel like a little bit more comfortable for some reason. Um, I think one of the reasons I like it is because usually stocks sell off quicker than they than they go up. So as a scalper, it makes it, I guess, easier because you can make money quicker, I guess, and you don't have to have like lengthy exposure to the market. You can be done in like five or 10 minutes. Um, but that's obviously something that I'm trying to evolve from because I'm missing out on like way bigger trades just because I'm too scalpy. Yeah, you're leaving a lot on the table. Exactly. Yeah, so when you say scalp, you know, mostly a scalper yeah. uh, at this point, um, w- what would you say is your average kind of hold time? Probably 10 to 20 minutes. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Like sometimes I could be out in a minute or two. And then, yeah, sometimes I'm in for a bit longer. Uh, but yeah, I, I want to get to that point, like especially in the morning where I, I'm holding stuff for at least an hour if it's working in my favor. Okay. That's one of the things I've found in the mornings is that it's very easy to give some of your profits back. Yeah. Um, all, all your profits back. Yeah. Because the market will move so quickly in one direction and then snap right back. And, yeah. you know, all of a sudden you've gone from having a, a reasonably good profit to now back to break even or a slightly uh, negative trade. So, yeah. Um, you know, do you think that's one of those things you can sort of get around? I yeah, mean, I think you've just got to like continue to work on it. Like I think the key is knowing when to hold and when not to hold. And I think that's one thing that I'm struggling with at the moment. Like I'm trying to hold stuff, but I'm not necessarily holding stuff that I should be holding. Like, or I'm being, I'm being scalpy when I should hold and I'm holding when I should be scalpy. So I think it's you know, a big skill is being able to identify, you know, when it's right to hold and when it's not. Yeah. So I think I need to work on, you know, structuring things so, uh, you know, I can figure out, you know, okay, this is a trade where I, I need to be holding like a, or to get out. I need to have a reason to sell or a reason to cover, like not just doing it because I'm trading my P&L kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's start at the beginning of the day. Like, how do you prepare for the, the upcoming session? Basically, I come in, I have a bunch of uh, watch lists. Sorry. Uh, I have a bunch of watch lists. Um, and then I basically, I've got an Evernote sheet. And I'll just go in and populate, I guess, what the macro themes are. Um, so was the US up last night? What's AUD doing? What did bonds do? Um, you know, commodity ETFs, that kind of thing. So then that gives me a, an idea or a picture of what stocks I'm going to be looking to trade that day. Um, and then I go through, like I'll have a list in each of the 
uh, group open, so five groups, and I'll uh, have the list from yesterday and then I'll filter through those stocks and see by looking at the market depth, oh, do I think that this stock is going to move again today? Um, and then I keep it on the list if, if I think it will. And then I delete the ones that I think are probably out of play. And then as news filters through in the morning at about 8.30, um, then I start adding stocks back onto that list that I think might move on news. Okay. Yeah. So how many stocks would kind of be in your, your watch list by this by the time the market opens? 40 probably. That many? Yeah. Okay. And, and how are you monitoring those stocks on the open? Like are you just do you just have a watch list with the um, kind of – you know how much each one's moved or do you have 40 different charts across your uh, yeah, screens? Yeah, 40 or? different um, things. So I'll just line them up on Spark for each group open. So I'll have, I've got like four screens of Spark open. I'll have um, two stocks on each screen in each uh, group thing. And then I'll basically just click through them as the next open phase starts. So I might get on a position in group one and um, and then uh, and then I'll, yeah, just kind of keep that up in the background while I'm getting on another position in like group three or something. And then I kind of just like juggle them um, going forward. Just in case anyone's not familiar with um, the way that ASX works or, you know, for any US listeners or um, whatever, just explain the the groups and the different opening times. Yep. So there's five groups that are just divided into alphabetical um, order. So like group one is stocks with tickers beginning with A or B. Group two is uh, stocks with tickers that start with like C through to F and then it's G through to, uh, I can't remember now. Um, but yeah, so it, it basically will then, they'll open like two minutes apart and it can open in a 30 second window. So it's uh, the, the first group will open at 10 o'clock uh, and zero seconds plus or minus 15 seconds. So it could open at 9.59 and 45 seconds or um uh, 10 on the dot and 15 seconds yeah do you know why they do that uh, no no clue I think <laughs> it's just the way the way they have always done it so yeah I think it's a good thing that it's not just 10 o'clock on the dot and then everything goes crazy away you go yeah does that uh, sometimes give you a bit of an advantage in itself like let's I say I think there's you- a bit of an edge to ha- because you can do more stuff, right? You can look at, at more things because you've got time. You don't have to, I guess, prioritize as much into like one or two trades because you can do something in group one and you still have like a bit of like five minutes until, um, you know, group four is opening or like eight minutes until um, the last group opens. Does it also potentially give you a bit of an insight, let's say, um, let's say uh, a stock opens in group two, that's an oil stock and there's one in group five and you get an indication. Yeah, sometimes I look at that. Like you could probably get a read through as to what the market's thinking. So if it, you know, an oil stock in group one opens and it's down 5%, but the one in group five looks like it's only going to match down 1%, you can either be like, oh, well, maybe this one's off too much or that one needs to sell. Um, So yeah, you can play around with that. Do you do those sort of things or... Have you got enough to focus on? I think there's enough to focus on where there's better uh, probabilities. But if there's nothing doing, then I might look at something like that. Yeah. So what are some of the things which you're looking at as kind of a catalyst to decide what's going to go on your list? I know you briefly mentioned it before, but can we go into that a little more? Like, Like, why would a stock go on your watch list? Like maybe just an example of sort of one that's been 
it's on your list because of a news catalyst of some sort like yeah yeah so i mean news by far is the the best is there any sort of news like a particular earnings announcements are usually pretty good or like okay you know contract wins or um yeah that that sort of stuff really okay what about like the broker upgrades and downgrades like it's not so much news is it yeah i mean they're they're good like you know the stock will usually be in play but i wouldn't say it's as like like they they can be powerful but then sometimes they don't work like it's a bit of a hit and miss type so yeah i'm not i wouldn't say i'm like constantly trading broker calls but it just is another string to to your bow um you know when there's not much when there's not much news then you know hopefully there might be a broker call so there's something you can do okay and one of the things i've noticed is uh it seems like you're quite knowledgeable about uh certainly not every business on the asx but there's a lot of businesses which you seem to know quite a bit about well i get that impression anyway like you know who the management is what they've done in the past who's holding this you know when they sold their shares etc do you spend a lot of time researching that sort of thing or is it just kind of i think it's just being around at like nine hours a day like from 7 a.m to 4 10 um you know you just kind of pick up on things and i guess i'm kind of like a pretty cynical person (laughs) (laughs) so uh like i'm always looking for the negative in something (laughs) (laughs) yeah a typical short seller because of that um i I believe you actually got into some i'm not going to say legal strife but you had some sort of uh you received a letter or some sort of um uh, notice to sort of stop a cease and desist yeah okay can you can you share that story because I, I don't actually know much about it I've heard you right. like mention bits and pieces and but yeah w- what happened yeah so basically there was this stock uh, called get swift um, a fair few of the Australian like traders or investors have probably heard of it um, but basically I was just kind of surprised at how quick this thing went up and then one night I was just bored so I um I went on my computer and like started doing a bit of research um, and then I just whipped up like in two hours like a four page summary of what I thought of the business and then I just posted on Twitter like this is kind of just when I'd started using Twitter I think it was back in like October last year and then yeah a couple of people read it and then I'm like oh okay well yeah, people seem to be interested in in the thing so I was like oh, okay that's pretty cool and then like two weeks later I get this email with a cease and desist letter from their lawyers saying that I breached like all this ASIC stuff and you know we're reporting you to ASIC like what you're doing is blah 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 like I can't remember exactly what was in the letter now so I'm just like oh crap like what's this about like I'm just a day trader at home in my underpants and you're coming (laughs) after me like for all this stuff so what did you think of the company like what was in this four page report that you put out I mean I don't know if you can go into the details of it or if yeah it's, I think it's to. still on um, it might still be on my Twitter somewhere oh, okay. um, but yeah I was basically just going through because their the way they structured like their performance rights and stuff was based around you know numbers of deliveries so they're a, uh, they're like an app I think they call themselves like the Uber of delivery or um, like logistics or something like that. So they would um, sign up businesses and then give them this software and they would get paid like what they said was 30 cents for every delivery that um, was done using their platform. Um, And they incentive or their performance rights were based on uh, how many deliveries they were doing. And I didn't think that that was right because you know if you're a shareholder like do you really care how many deliveries like you want to see 
I think it made more sense to see revenue based um, performance rights being granted, not deliveries, because you know, if you put someone on a trial and they're doing deliveries on the trial and they're not paying for them, well, that's a little bit deceptive. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, a lot of their announcements were like pure spin. Like they just, I didn't think they were being particularly truthful about like some of the contracts and they're embellishing um, a fair bit. I thought like, they're like, oh, this contract is going to be worth you know, $1.15 billion in revenue or whatever. And like, since then I haven't heard a single thing about any of like any of this stuff. The only announcements they've been coming out recently is the fact there's like three class actions pending on them. Oh really? Yeah. So was this a newly listed stock at the time? Uh, I think it listed in December, 2016. So it had been on, when I like wrote the thing, I think it'd been on for like nine months or something. Okay, right. And it's still obviously tradable today. Uh, yeah, it went up to like four fifty or something from a twenty cent IPO. Oh wow! And then uh, yeah, it's now at like thirty five cents or something. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> so were you short it? <laughs> I, I was I would short it intraday, but um, yeah, I'd never held like an overnight position short in it just because like that's one of my rules. I don't I okay. don't hold overnight, but yeah, it really like rub rubbed me up the wrong way, like them trying to go legal on me, so. I then just went to the AFR and then gave them all, because I was going to write another report. Um, like I was in the process of writing like a more in-depth and I guess a little bit more of a professional report on what I thought, because I'd, I'd done more research. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they send me this. So I'm like, all right, well, I shouldn't push the envelope. I'm not going to say anything else publicly. So then I just went to the AFR and said, here's all the information. And then the AFR basically just went to town. Did they really? Yeah. What'd they do? Write articles? Just writing about. articles and... Then that started doing some of their own research and yeah, uh, then the whole thing blew up. Okay. So what were they threatening like in this email? Uh, they were saying like, they were calling it like stock price manipulation or something. And yeah, I was in breach of like Corporations Act, like a bunch of these things and we've reported the thing to ASIC, blah, blah, blah. Like it was pretty much just a shakedown and I just went to see a lawyer and I showed them like everything that I'd written on the internet about the the company and they were like, oh, I don't think you really have anything to worry about, but don't go like poking the hornet's nest. Just don't post anything else. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, fine. Did you, you ever hear any, did you ever hear anything from ASIC? <laughs> no. I, it was probably a bluff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That must have been a bit of a red flag in itself that, um, you know, a company was coming on to you that strong after, like yeah. you said, a day trader at home just... Exactly. Like if I wrote a four-page research piece on Telstra I'm not getting any cease and desist letters from <laughs> yeah. them they're like well yeah you know the proof is in the pudding not that Telstra's a great stock but yeah no absolutely not <laughs> the point is they're, they're legit you know did you trade Telstra um, a couple of weeks back after their um, uh, investors meeting you know when it had that um, yeah big I did gap but down not on. successfully okay <laughs> yeah how, how come you weren't successful in that like uh, I think with that because it's like it doesn't have huge moves and the book's like so thick so I get like a bigger position on where I might be like 500 or a thousand dollars a tick um so then like it I'm kind of like super reactive and a little bit uptight about it um just because there's like you know there might be you know five million dollars on the bid or something and that will just get instantly wiped Mm -hmm. like like it's no issue kind of thing so that means your your risk is a little bit higher because it can go against you like because then you've got to cross the the spread to get out um 
again. So it's yes, yeah, another thing that I need to work on. But I prefer usually like a little bit less liquid, um, less liquid stocks. Yeah, yeah, because I traded it that day as well, and um, uh, also not successfully. Yeah, uh, and I just feel like a bit of an idiot afterwards. I was like, I, I felt really naive actually trying to right. trade a stock like that, just because it attracts a very different sort of participant. Yeah, and. I, I don't know. It just was something I should have stayed out of. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, it's not like one of my favorite uh, stocks to trade. But yeah, again, it's something that I need to get better at because there's a lot of, lot of uh, liquidity there. And if you can get comfortable trading it on these catalyst or these news events, it can be pretty profitable. So, Do you find that there's always opportunities each day? As yeah. in like there's always... A catalyst or there's always a stock in play yeah there's always something if there's nothing it just means you haven't looked hard enough or you're too hungover or something <laughs> like that <laughs> okay and where do you where do you get most of your information from in the morning like where are you doing sort of your research and prep like are there any sites that you frequently visit or um yeah so I, i've just got like first of all like i was saying those etfs and stuff but um into uh, like in my iris so I just bring that up each morning that helps me populate the list and then I'll look at other stuff like investing.com is a decent one so you can get um, live commodity prices on there um, Finviz to see like what sectors moved in the US um, you, they've got like a market map thing as well mm-hmm. also the uh, iron ore futures in um, or the Dalian commodity exchange so there's a, a link there that I look at but that's pretty much it and also AFR so I'll just peruse the AFR and see what people are talking about because that can be pretty good yeah when you're looking at these ETFs what are you actually looking at are you just looking to see you know if the oil ETFs up three percent yeah so it's more just like the magnitude of the move like if a copper ETFs up five percent then I'll be looking at you know copper stocks to see if they they follow here um, or the lithium ETF gets smashed or something, and then you, you know, might look to short lithium stocks. So that's kind of just one way of getting trade ideas. Yeah, would that be enough for you to actually get involved in some copper stocks? Like just the fact that the copper ETF might be up five percent. How do you then decide which copper stocks you might actually take uh, well, part so in? So I'll just look. I'll have them on my watch list, and then I'll watch just before the market opens. Like if I see buyers rushing in. Um, or it looks like you know this thing wants to go just by focusing on the market depth. Um, then I'll you know make a decision based on that. Okay, and you're obviously also taking into consideration if um, like how up or down one a stock might be um, during the match as well. Yeah, like yeah exactly. So like if say the copper ETF's up you know five percent, but like Oz Minerals or Sandfire or something is up ten percent, well then I'm probably not going to buy that because I think oh well it's probably uh, gapping too much um, to get involved. Yeah, okay. Now, just sort of talking about the some of the setups and strategies that you trade today, um, I noticed that uh, most days you post something on your Twitter, just a quick review of the day, uh, um, you know, like a trading report. Um, you often like grade your setups. Yeah. I'm interested to just hear a bit more about how you how how why you do that how that actually influences how you trade each of those setups um yeah can you just share a little bit of insight to how you actually do the grading that's kind of based on around like uh, i guess mike bellafiore's like 
trade review thing and then Austin um, Mitchum started doing uh, doing that so then I'm like oh yeah maybe I should consider you know trying to grade or like rank what I'm doing in terms of like is this like something where I've got a huge edge in doing or have I taken that trade sort of for no real reason so I think it's just important to like internalize you know what you're doing right and then also what you're doing wrong and that's kind of what the the whole idea of grading the setups is about if you let's say you have a a setup which is grade a in your books and then you have one which is a c how are you going to trade each of those differently well see i'm not i wouldn't say i'm particularly thinking or at least i haven't in the past been thinking about like you know is this an a a plus setup like in the moment this is more like a reflective Uh, thing where i'm grading it so yeah but now what i'm trying to do is you know start to think okay like in the moment this is an a plus setup um and then you know you want to be at your biggest size and you want to probably want to hold uh for longer if it's a plus okay let's speak about your sizing we'll come back to this um a bit more about some of your setups and your particular plays but how are you sizing into your your trades um, like, are you still thinking about the the tick value, which you um, spoke about, you know, earlier on, or yeah? So I size probably more around, um, well, partially around like what the tick value would be, but also the liquidity around me. So like, I don't want to be in something where it's going to move the price three cents or something uh, before I can get out because I'm like way too big for the liquidity around me. That kind of just ends in disaster a lot of the time so yeah i'm sizing based on how much protection i have in the book so if i'm like shorting something and i've got like fifty thousand units you know i want to i want to see you know 70 or eighty thousand like other uh units offered so that i've got protection if the trade looks like it's going to go against me Mm -hmm. um so that's kind of what i'm looking uh looking for mostly so it's kind of governed by like you said, what's what's available, how much liquidity there is, what's yep. in the book. Do you find in the Australian market that there's much, that kind of the liquidity di- disappears? Uh, I don't want to say spoofing, but do you find that there's much of that, like sort of liquidity that appears to be there, but when you actually sort of come to trade it, um, you know, it, it's not really there? Yeah, there's a fair bit of that. I think that's a lot of um, like algos will have, you know, spoofed orders in there. And then you see as it, as it moves like it might move down and then they'll in the on the buy side they'll like move back and but that usually like is an indication to me that there's like a seller in this thing and they're propping the book so that people think oh i've got plenty of protection here i can buy this kind of thing and then they step back step back so it's a good if i see that and i'm short it's like something that's going through in my mind oh i should probably hold this because there's obviously a a motivated seller in here um because they're they're propping the the bid side of the book so does that always seem genuine? So, so what you're just saying is, if you're short, there's a, a big bid, at, let's say five dollars, and yep. then suddenly that as the price moves to that five dollar thing, oh, that uh, that five dollar level, they you'll see the bid. bid. Will, it might move back to like four four ninety five or four ninety or something. Yeah. Um, okay. So and so you'll if you see that sort of action, that'll you'll tend to hold that position for a bit longer. Yeah, I want to hold it until like I see actual real buyers stepping up and then I'll look to cover. Okay. So, okay, so let's go back to your, um, kind of some of your setups or your particular plays which you like to get involved in. And obviously I don't expect you to share 
all of them or your best ones, but can you just give us an example of maybe a recent trade which maybe checked all the boxes for yep. you? So there was that Cobb trade, Cobalt Blue Holdings, uh, which was I think last, uh, or the Wednesday before last, um, which yeah was truly an A plus setup for me. So it was a short, like major news catalyst there. Um, pre-feasibility study or something was being released uh it's relatively illiquid so you know that um you know if anyone wants to sell they're gonna have to do it over a number of days it's not just um you know because there's no liquidity they can't get it out fast so they just have to keep selling keep selling keep selling so i thought there was huge potential for a a big move so yeah that one checked all the boxes and i got like pretty decent size in it as well i think i was like about two thirds of the match volume. Um, wow. And then, yeah, <laughs> I, I covered way too soon. So okay. still kicking myself about. So that was just an intraday trade again? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was out in like 20 or 30 minutes. So like I say all this stuff, like this is one to hold, they're going to be selling for days and then there I am taking profit in 20 minutes. So like, just drives me mad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was that something that you traded again the next day? Like did that stay a stock and play for yeah, a few yeah, days. Yeah, I traded the next day as well. Again, not well. Okay. All oh, right. I still, I still made money, but yeah, I, again, like there was no reason for me to, to take profit other than like, yeah, just I guess trading my PL. How much was this stock like? Was uh, it denomination wise, or uh, like was it a couple cents or? No, nah, it was. Uh, I think it opened at ninety. Oh, sorry, eighty-eight cents. Okay. Yeah. And then I think it closed the first day at like 70 cents or something. I think I covered most of my position at like 78 cents. So right. I made like 10 cents or whatever on the Okay. on the thing. How do you how do you control I guess this is maybe a bit of a psychology question. How do you control your mindset in those types of scenarios when you're like you know like this you had it a lot of size on a really good trade went in your favor you're now looking back on it, you go, oh, I took it off too early. How do you, how do you not sort of become too caught up in that? Because you can, I feel as though you can do that all the time. What, what do you mean? Sorry. Like in hindsight, I guess I'm talking about hindsight. Here. Right. Right. Like you often see a trade, you, you got out and it kept running. You're yep. like, I should have held that. Yeah, yeah. Or I should have done this or, or that sort of thing. Like, how do you, how do you stop yourself from falling into that trap of like being too critical of yourself? Yeah. Or yeah, I guess so. I, I think I just do fall into that <laughs> trap. Like, it's but that's one of the great things about trading, right? Is you're never gonna, you know, trade something perfectly. There'll always be room for improvement. And then for someone like who's, I'd probably describe myself as a bit of a perfectionist. Like, keeps me me motivated to come back the next day and try perfect it then. Um, so I guess it just keeps it interesting if you keep making mistakes. Yeah, I guess that's the good thing about day trading is there's always so much happening and you can always, yeah, there's always know, each tomorrow. day is a new day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is there been any other trades recently which maybe checked all the boxes again, which um, you know was a, a good setup good that you would take any, any day of the week? Yeah, there was probably that uh, ISD trade, which um, I think the ASX made a mistake there released um, uh, some price sensitive news as non-sensitive um, and I just saw it straight away and bought 
Uh, and then the thing went from like, I think I bought it at 70 and a half. I kept adding to about 75 cents and then, uh, it went up to like, uh, 83 cents or whatever. And I, I held that one pretty well. Um, so yeah, I guess the catalyst there is news and I've just got speed of execution. Um, saw the news quickly, you know, uh, shoot first, ask questions later <laughs> mentality. What was the news on that? Uh, it was just uh, they reaffirmed their um, their full year guidance, and it had been a stock that had like been constantly downgrading, downgrading, downgrading. So my like quick thesis in my head was, uh, you know, the downgrades have stopped now, so that can only be a positive thing. So I was yeah tilted, like my bias was to the upside, so I just bought. Okay, so you said I think you said you bought it seventy cents initially, seventy and a half, and I added. So I had an average price of around 72, 73 cents around that. Okay. So how did you add going up to, was it 75 cents when yeah. you stopped adding? I was so, just lifting offers. Yeah, but like what, the entire offer or? It, was, it wasn't like super liquid. There was a, so I remember there was a drip seller at 70 and a half when the news hit. So you could have got like a decent amount of liquidity on that iceberg seller. Um, and then he lifted and then once he lifted, I was like, oh, okay. So there was like maybe 50,000 shares between 70 and a half and 75 cents. So I just kept adding. Um, and then I went to sell some at 74. I sold like, I tried to sell maybe like one fifth of my position there or something. And I'm like, crap, what are you doing? Like, this is dumb. So I canceled the order. Some other seller came in and I bought it <laughs> again. And then I added 75, I think, from memory. And what are you doing when you're, when you're in a, in a position like that, are you just doing market orders? Uh, yeah, but I'm doing it all manually. So I'll just have like a bunch of buy tickets up and I'm uh, adjusting the um, the price with it. So, but I'm not like, I'm not sweet. I wasn't sweeping the, the order book. I was just taking them as the bidders stepped up like in front. So, mm-hmm. And what if that trade hadn't worked out? Like what was your exit plan in that sort of situation? Cents. There was a fair bit of... Um, fair bit of liquidity there okay but I, at that point like once I saw how quickly the buyers stepped up like I just knew I was right it wasn't gonna go down so how do you think about an exit plan like in your strategies or sorry not your strategies but in when you're trading how do you think about uh, do you use stops uh, no it's all like manual mental stops yeah but that's probably something I also need to start developing like thinking bigger picture and maybe preparing a little bit more before taking a trade because at the moment I'm just doing stuff like off the cuff like I see it and then I do it and I don't really put that much thought into you know where my exit is going to be um yeah because I I guess a lot of like what I do is pretty feel based and I think I need to step away from being so like feel based and more um I guess structured in terms of like having a plan uh, for, for what I'm doing. Okay. So do you do you have a rough idea on where you're going to stop out on a trade if it moves against you or is it, again, sort of dependent on what no, you I'll, see in the... I'll usually just stop out a trade once. Like if it goes against me, I'm just out. It's pretty much where I... Uh, ma- that's how I manage risk. Like if, if I put on a trade and it doesn't move for me straight away, I'm pretty much out. Yeah, okay. Okay. So if it was to just continue sideways but sort of not really come too much back you're gonna just get rid of it i mean if it's moving sideways and i think like 
there's still potential for it to work, then I might hold it. Um, but if it goes the opposite direction to the way I want it to, then I'm just, I'm straight out. Done with it. And then like I can always reassess um, in a couple minutes or later if I still think the trade could work. But I'd rather just get out, scratch it, and then start, start again. And how about taking positions off? Are you normally sort of all out at, at yeah. one price? Yeah, that's... Yeah, I'm very much like I'm in the entire position like in one go and I'm out in one go as well, um, which is something that I should probably start, you know, trying to scale out of stuff. But the problem is like I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie. So <laughs> once the position's not as big as what it was, then I like lose interest. Okay. I'm like, oh, this is boring. Yeah, yeah, right. So then I'm just like, oh, we'll just get rid of this. Do you find that you get that still in your trading is a bit of a, bit of a kick when you are... Um, you know, when you do have a bit of size on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I still feel it. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that's a good thing? Like, does that make you perform better? You think more alert or? I'm definitely more alert, but I wouldn't say it makes me perform better. I probably need to calm down a little bit and identify like if I am, you know, feeling like a kid on Christmas, <laughs> that's probably an A plus trade and I should just like relax and hold. So... How much of your money is made in the first 30 minutes of the day? Probably 70 or 80%. I would that say. much? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like you get your odd uh, good midday trade, but I'd say yeah, a lot of the, um, yeah, my best days, like I'm making most of the money in the first yeah, half an hour to an hour. Right. And what about during the close, like that last kind of? I don't, I don't usually take that many trades then. Because like, I don't know, I'm just a bit tired by then. Because if I'm trading in the States, like it's close to midnight. Well, it's after midnight. So mm. don't want to do anything stupid. <laughs> um, so even though you make most of your money during the, the open there, you're still sticking around for the rest of the day. Yeah, I'm watching 100%. Are, like, you, are you still trading during the, you know, after 11 o'clock? Yeah, I'll, I'll just still be trading. smaller? Or? Yeah, I might, I might be smaller. Um, uh, and sort of then I'm looking more at, you know, mean reverting stuff, like, you know, fading stuff that I think's up too much or like yeah. buying a dip or something like that, um, which are just like, you know, your s smaller like kind of income trades, I guess you'd describe them as like the wallet patters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that term. Now, I can't remember what it was. It was a few months ago. You crossed a million dollars in trading profits. Yeah. When was that? Uh, I think it was in the, at the beginning or middle of May. Okay. And that was at, and how long had you been trading at that point? Must have been, what, two no, and a half years? Yeah, over two and a half years, yeah. Yeah. What was that? What did that feel like when you crossed that, that million dollar mark? Uh, it was just like, I guess, just an arbitrary number. Like, <laughs> yeah. If I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't really care that much about the money. I don't spend my money on anything other than like, you know, having a good time with mates or something like that. So I don't, I don't need a million dollars. So I'm just like, oh, okay, that's cool. Like I have financial freedom, but it's not like I'm, yeah, I wasn't like, oh yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I imagine um, there must have been a point where you kind of gathered that it was only going to be a matter of time yeah. until you did. Yeah, I think well. that's also another thing. Um, like it was just, yeah, a matter of time because I've been profitable since I started pretty much. So it's just like a matter of uh, like when, not if. 
Why do you think that is? Why do you think that you were able to make money so quickly? Uh, Bryce's mentorship, for sure. Um, I think like if I went out and did it myself, I would have figured it out. But just being able to cut down that learning curve was like massive. Mm-hmm. And I guess like having him there to like bounce stuff off, it gives you like a certain degree of confidence. Um, so yeah, that was easily the reason that I was as profitable as what I was so quickly. Yeah. Do you think there were other factors to it as well? I mean, I don't certainly don't want to play downplay what Bryce, you know, had done for you. Yeah. Um, but I just know in having conversations with Bryce, he sort of said things like, you know, Nick's just a freak. Like if there was, if he had have tried to train up someone else, you know, he'd probably have like 10 people or so who wouldn't be able to do what you Yeah, I mean, done. I'm sure I have some sort of like skill in what I'm doing, like it's just something, it's a game that suits my personality. And I mean, that's probably half the reason that he was like, I guess I wouldn't say he was pressuring me to start trading, but he was like, oh dude, like you should really give this a go. I think you'd be good at it. So like he obviously saw something in me that he thought I would be good at it. And I know he was probably, he might've been surprised that I was, I picked it up so quickly. Yeah. What are some of the things which you think you do do well like what would you say are some of your strengths as a trader uh risk management probably like just cutting losers quickly i think that's something that i guess like you were saying in that um rambo interview like learning to lose like i've always just been able to take losses and it not like affect me too much so i think like a lot of people comment like when i post my things they're like oh like your losers are always so small it's just because like if i start to see red on a trade i'm just out like there's no ifs or buts about it really there's no point fighting it so like i might be you know fading a stock um like say if something's like too far from vwap or whatever and i'll start shorting it and then like it keeps going against me like i'm not trying i'm not holding stuff on the front side of a move like i'll just get out and then try it again in like 10 minutes if it goes further um so just cutting losses and like knowing when to give up the fight i guess what do you mean by the front side of the move so uh, basically there hasn't really been like any evidence to suggest that it's going to go down. Um, like sometimes I'm just too early on the trade like to fade, mm-hmm. whether it be something that's uh, like tanking and then I'm like trying to buy for a, a reversal to VWAP or something. Um, just being in too early instead of entering like once there's been like an obvious signal that the flow is about to, um, is about to turn. Yeah. Do you find that you're often getting in before the moves kind of happen? or What do you mean, sorry? So let's say you have a, a level which you've identified as kind of like a key level which you think is going to trade and continue to move past. Yeah. Do you often buy or sell or enter in anticipation of that level trading or do you sort of jump it when everyone else is jumping in? Probably when everyone else is jumping in. Like I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm like a huge... Uh, like charting guy I'm probably more like watching the tape and order flow is Mm -hmm. sort of what I do um, more so than like worry about levels as much okay you you even get like levels though that you'll you'll see in the in the order book like at a certain price you'll just see that it's just someone keeps buying at that price or are there certain patterns which you look for in the order flow um 
Yeah. I mean, so like you're saying, if you see there's a buyer at this particular level or whatever and, you know, you feel like it's starting to get a bit heavy and he's like taking all he can eat, um, then I'll just be watching that level and then if he if the buyer drops, it's a good opportunity to short because, you know, everyone else is going to see that and then um, people probably rush to sell because there's no buyer there anymore. So, yeah, I'll, I'll look at that stuff. Um, now, I asked you just before, what are some of your kind of strengths as a trader? How about on the flip side? Like, what are some of the um, some of your weaknesses, I guess you could say? I know you often say in your, your trading reports, oh, I was stubborn on this trade or that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, I, one of my weaknesses is um, def, I'm just, I short stuff too much. Like, I'm fighting a losing battle doing that because everyone just wants to buy right like it's just human nature to want to buy not not the other way around so i need to get better at instead of you know i might see a positive news catalyst and then instead of buying it when that's the obvious trade i'm like finding areas like oh where can i short this um so i need to just trade with the um with the flow rather than against it um so that's something that i need to improve on other weaknesses like i don't know maybe i'm too self um like too self-critical um, and maybe I just need to like relax on being so harsh on myself when like I don't get a trade right and just kind of relax a little bit more. Do you find that it ever throws you off for the rest of the day? Like if you, let's say, stuff up a few trades on the open or make some silly moves? It, I mean, it annoys me, but like not as bad as if like the internet drops out. <laughs> That's like the worst thing. Yeah. Like if I have like technical issues like that will throw me off like that i'll just go crazy if like you know an order fails or something like that like that stuff just grinds my gears like big time how's um how's your current setup working for you in where i'm staying with mates or yeah yeah it's it does the job it's all right um like not as comfortable as as being like at at home like back in texas but yeah just need a chair and a desk and some screens it's fine (laughs) Yeah. Um, do you set yourself like a, a loss limit for the day? Like, no. Nothing like that? No. It'll be like there's – I used to kind of just step away if I was down. Um, but then like I've got a lot better at just grinding back um, through the day. So I'm just always hunting. But then if like – if I'm down, like for example on Friday, I think I was down like 2200 bucks or whatever and like – just nothing was working and the market was pretty dead. I'm just like, if I try and, you know, take any more trades today, like this is just going to get worse. I'm just going to be paying more in brokerage. So I'll identify when enough is enough, but I won't like, there's no like a loss limit that I, I okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have a fixed amount. It's more just how you're feeling. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, based on your experience as a trader, what are some of the things which you think, um, maybe more amateur traders could work on or could do to help themselves improve? Like what's been really key for you? Obviously having a mentor was, was a big help. Yeah. Um, but you know, besides that, some things which you, you know, traders can do on their own. Well, what mm-hmm. comes to mind? It's a tough question. Um, what about like the trader reports? Have they been beneficial for you? I know, I've kind of stopped doing them like part out of laziness and um, part out of like, I'm not sure like how much value I'm getting out of them. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's always a good thing. I think, yeah, like having a mentor is key. 
like if you were starting out today from scratch, um, like how would you try and get to the position you're in now right. as quickly as possible? I guess I would say like just focus on trying to do one thing and do it well. Um, like that's how I became good, right? Like I would just do this one trade that I knew worked and I had confidence doing it and I'd increase my size and then that just buys you the time to start finding like other stuff. Like over time, it just it's just a game of pattern recognition, right? So um, the more you're sitting in front of the screens, uh, the more you're absorbing like information and like living and breathing, you'll just pick up these other patterns and um, and yeah, you'll just naturally adapt to, to other stuff. I think like for a lot of people as well, like I'm not sure that trading is necessarily their passion. They're like, they like the idea of, oh, I'm a day trader, I'll trade for an hour and then I'll go to the beach and, you know, have lots of money and stuff. But it's not like, I think if you want to be good, you've got to trade it like any other nine to five job. Like it's serious, you're not here to like play around. Yeah, there's certainly a group of people who sort of see it as um, a path to freedom, right? Yeah. Mm. As you a know. prison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like you said, you're in front of the screens from, I don't know, what, what time do you normally get in front of the screens? Uh, like 7 a.m. 7 a.m.? Yeah. Okay. About then. And then the market doesn't open, well, uh, pre-opens 9.50, right? Uh, yeah. It opens at 10 o'clock, yeah. So, yeah, I'm like just constantly there. Like I don't even eat lunch. Don't you? No. Yeah, some of the traders um, at the firm don't either. I don't know how they do it. I get so hungry. Yeah. I mean, I'm always eating at my desk, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> Can't be skipping lunch. <laughs> Take it between a man and his food. <laughs> yeah. What's Gordon Gecko say? He's got that quote, doesn't he? Uh, lunch is for wimps. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember. I think so. It's been so. a while since oh. I've seen that one. You know what you're doing tonight. Yeah. Watch Wall Street. That's it. Um, why do you think... Um, most traders, most traders don't succeed. I guess you probably outlined some of the reasons there. Yeah, I there, think that's part part of the reason. Like, I think a big reason for success is like you just have to be like passionate about it, right? Like, you know, when I go and hang out with like Bryce or Austin or whatever, like go have a beer. Like, we're just constantly talking about trading. We're not talking about like the weather or anything like that. We're just like we live and breathe the stuff. So, and I just don't think like for a lot of people, like it's probably not that stimulating or like interesting for them like they're just doing it because like you said they're looking for a path to freedom um but i don't think that's the right approach to take like you genuinely have to be like passionate and interested in yeah like in what's going on that's it like you can make a fortune doing pretty much anything yeah you know you just gotta be uh at the top of whatever that industry or that game or whatever you're playing in like you know the people at the top of anything are making a lot of money so to think that you should only be a trader because you're going to make a lot of money i think is is kind of flawed yeah like if you look at all the like you know successful business owners around the world like you know you bill gates and you know even elon musk and stuff like these guys are just living and breathing like what they're doing like they just love it so that bit like i don't think of trading as a job like it's just something i enjoy to do and the positive benefit of it is like i make money doing it yeah um i think i can't remember if you've said this to me in the past or i saw you saying it to someone else but you think that it's it's really beneficial to just sort of throw yourself into it yeah 100 in the beginning i think too many people try and like over plan starting but you've just got to like go and do it do you know what i mean there's no point like beating around the bush and like i get 
a lot of people asking me like, what's my strategy? And like, I, know, I mean, it's like a fair enough question, but I always think like my strategy is to make money. Like I don't have a, a strategy, like a, it's just to make money. Um, but yeah, people just want to be like, uh, want to develop like this black box type way about like going and, and trading like where I can just you know put this trade on and then have a stop loss here and this is how it will work kind of thing and make it like all mathematical but mm -hmm. I think you've just got to like go in and immerse yourself and do it you know yeah like yeah. I'm not saying like there's obviously plenty of room for that and a lot of people are successful doing that I know what you're saying but like for the most part like especially for myself like I'm not that smart so I'll like let the smart people do the um the algo <laughs> stuff and like I'll just yeah, do what I'm good at. And I, I said as well, like some of the people who uh, hit me up who, who listen to the podcast and that, they'll say, oh, you know, I've been paper trading for the past two years. And yeah, yeah. just like, man, that's, that's overkill. I also think paper trading is like the worst thing you can do because like you don't, it, it completely changes like once you have risk on. You can, paper trading allows you to like mask your deficiencies very easily because you can be like, down two grand on a paper trade and you're like, oh, well, I'll just hold it because there's no ramifications and then you're up and then you think you're a profitable trader. Yeah. But like, that's not the case. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You, I, I would never like recommend like anyone paper trades. Like just do it. Like even if it's for a couple of bucks, like just have some risk on because you just have to learn how to manage that feeling. Yeah, just get a little bit of skin in the game. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to be, um, you know, hitting huge size. No. But just put... Even if it's like, you know, $5 a tick or something yeah. or like a dollar a tick. Exactly. Like you're not going to be like, you're probably not going to cover your brokerage, but at least you get the feeling for the process of like doing a trade, you know, even just getting good at order execution. Like, cause there's a lot of, I'm pretty quick at like executing orders. And I know like a lot of the other day trades I speak to are like pretty good at that. But I think that's also an area where people aren't as good. So mm -hmm. yeah, if you're paper trading, like you're not learning those skills and yeah, you're just better off having some skin in the game. Yeah. How do you deal with that, the, the fast execution? Um, like, do you set up hotkeys or anything like that? Do you have any tricks there? Uh, not really. Like, I just, uh, I do have like a shortcut to bring up like buy and sell tickets. But then from there, it's all like manually typing in the ticker code, volume and price. Okay. Um, but yeah, the beginning, like just before the open about like 9.55, I'll bring up like five buy tickets and five sell tickets and then I'll pre-populate the ones I think I'm going to trade um, and then yeah just adjust from there okay and how many stocks would you be trading on any given day like you said earlier on that you normally have a list of about 40 yep um, how many of those are you typically actually going to trade uh, probably like eight to ten maybe on average um, but I gen genuinely uh, sorry generally find that um my best days are when I'm trading less names, but also like when there's days where there's not as much doing, you've kind of got to go out and find more stuff. Like you might take 12 trades, but you might only be making like three or $400 on each trade and then a couple of them are losers. So you just have to trade them to get your um, like P and L up mm -hmm. if not much is happening. Yeah. And those stocks where, you know, you say on some of your best days you're trading less. Yeah. Those stocks that you are trading on the days you're trading less, uh, are you typically sort of in and out of those sort of trying to... Sometimes, but I think it's more just there'll be a huge catalyst in a huge, like obvious catalyst in these particular stocks. So 
you can just afford to dedicate your entire like time to watching those like there's no point going out and like wasting time watching something else now I know you get a few questions from people who follow you on Twitter and that type of thing are there any questions which pop up time and time again which you get asked frequently um, besides what's his strategy, what's his strategy? <laughs> <laughs> that one comes up a fair bit uh, no, like none that like spring to mind really I, I get a lot of you know the oh, what reading are there any like books or you know, do you have a blog or something like that and I usually will always like point people to read uh, Bella's books like One Good Trade and The Playbook uh, they're awesome Mm-hmm. Um, and pretty much how I've modeled myself in terms of like developing a list of stocks in play and uh, I guess to really nail down the process of um, of what I do each morning kind of thing um, and I just make it you know, very structured. Do you think there are any questions which I've missed or should have asked you about? Like are there any topics which you'd like to speak about which you haven't done yet? Um, nothing that comes to mind. Okay. What about, um, what about poker? I, I think um, when we were speaking uh, like the other week, you said that you think um, trading is a lot like poker in many respects. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the the similarities there? Uh, probably psychology. Uh, like I personally think that trading is probably ninety five percent psychology and maybe five percent skill. And also, there's just like other comparisons. Like I wrote a little like note about it. Um, in uh, like on Twitter and posted it about my uh, Cobb trade and like you know thinking through the trade a little bit more in the same way that the best poker players will think through the hand you know they're they're not just like they don't care or they care what cards they have but they're also thinking you know what cards does that guy what cards does that guy have what does he have like what's his you know range like what what could he be doing here and then he's thinking the same stuff like oh um what is he thinking that I'm thinking? And like, and the point is like, they just go into a lot of detail and think about like all these different scenarios. And I think that's something I need to do better at um, kind of thinking through the trade a little bit more like being big picture, like in that Cobb trade, understanding it's in a liquid stock, you know, they're gonna have to sell this thing for days. It was bad news, like it's com- effectively company breaking news. Um, so yeah, just thinking bigger picture instead of like, you know, being the kid in the candy, sh- shop and like taking the trade off just because like I'm up seven grand or whatever so <laughs> so what are some of the things you're trying to get better at like do you have um, like do you have specific goals or anything like that yeah I want to like really like nail a A plus trade and yeah just basically hold for, for longer like I made some strides in that department like after I wrote that little thing on Cobb, I had like a decent trade in ELD when they had a profit downgrade. Um, and uh, like I held for 35 minutes instead of 20 minutes. So I was like, oh, I pat myself on the back. <laughs> um, but again, like out way too quick. Um, I think I shorted at $8.30 and covered on average around like se- uh, $7.90. And the thing went to like $7.05 if yeah. I just held for like <laughs> another hour. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, yeah, just like le- left a ton of profit on the table there. Yeah. Well, that's that was psychology part, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. So I think I I want to set myself like a goal to, if I've identified, okay, this is an A plus trade, I want to make it like my goal to hold for at least an hour and then reassess. So like okay. hands behind my back. The only reason I'm covering this position is if it goes against me uh, like early 
and then yeah just reassess stuff at 11. yeah i guess in doing that you kind of sacrifice quite a bit of profit yeah that's that's also a problem so i did it that uh the other day in i think sonic healthcare it was up on like a a broker upgrade and i was fading it it looked really nice and i held for about an hour and i was up like maybe maybe three two two and a half grand or something on the trade and i'm like okay like i'm just gonna hold this like this thing's going lower had a plan i'll take half off at 26 bucks and then take the rest off at 25.75 um and then yeah just reversed and then yeah i ended up losing like a grand on the trade so it was like a pretty decent sized uh profit swing so that's frustrating but again that comes down to like you know that's not an A plus trade. That's an A plus scalp for me, but it's not an A plus trade because again, I'm like fighting momentum. Like it's been upgraded. People are trying to buy the thing and I'm fading it. It's not something that you should, that I should have been holding all day. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Cool, man. Um, well, I'm just trying to think if uh, there's anything else I wanted to ask you about. Um, what have I got in my notes here? I mean, I think we've pretty much covered, we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah, I think that's it. Is there anything else you wanted to add? No, I think, uh, I think I'm good. Appreciate you having me there. No, no worries, man. Um, I was going to ask, um, do, you, do you plan on starting a blog? Uh, I know it had sort of been in the back of your mind. Yeah, I've got like, I'm not very good with like tech, okay. like websites and stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I got like a, um, I don't even know what it's called, but the- WordPress? Yeah, I think blog. I, yeah, yeah. That, and I've like started like tinker, tinkering around with it. But, okay. Um, yeah, I haven't, uh, haven't really- got yeah. very far with it because I just like I don't know I'm trading or I'm at my screens like 10 9 to 10 hours a day and then to like do that in my spare time like it's probably a little bit much so I've kind of I've thought oh maybe I'll just like any blog post that I want to write I'll just write it in like notepad or whatever and stick it on Twitter like, like, like I have been doing yeah because um, cool. that's just easier for me okay cool well if someone does want to follow you on Twitter what is your handle yeah. uh, it's uh, Longhorn Capital Okay. Yeah. At Longhorn Capital. Capital, yeah. Cool. All right, Nick. Well, I appreciate it, man. No worries. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, mate. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but rest assured, there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, and we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders.